0: Rose bros can suck my balls fuck your reply guys please don't fuck your reply guys just listen to reply guys hello and welcome back to reply guys the leftist
1: feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us i am kate willett i am julia clare <laughs> <laughs> what a bummer intro!
0: But I mean, what
1: an <laughs> intro! It's not a good week here, yeah. folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Which, if you live in like America or the world, you already knew that. But yeah,
0: yeah. So you know, I I think for the intro this week, we're gonna be spending most of the time talking about uh, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the implications of her being replaced on the Supreme Court. Obviously, a really really sad week for a lot of people, including her family and the people who love who loved her. So we want to
1: acknowledge that. Um how are you feeling, Julia? Um uh, not great. <laughs> I yeah, Friday night was was tough. I like I was doing my laundry and my mom called me when it happened. Uh and it just like it was something that you know, it wasn't a shock or anything. She was 87 years old and she kept, you know, (laughs) getting cancer. Uh, She she kept like, you know, being fighting and being in remission in different stages of, of having cancer. So, you know, we knew it was, and again, she, she had, she was of advanced age anyways, but she, uh, I don't know. There was, it just is like the fact that it's, less than 50 days before the election is just, it just set kind of like immediate dread in me because I knew, like, I mean, McConnell said years ago after the Merrick Garland situation that he doesn't care. And and if a Republican president were in office, he would, he would seat a Republican president's nominee within a uh, in an election year, so he's, yeah,
0: I mean, he came out with some like justifying statement afterward about like, oh well, you know, this was
1: because Trump is in his first term and uh, literally Obama was in his second no, term. S- oh my god, no. he's such a fucking snake! I yeah, god, I I so I like low key maybe, like, tweeted some sort of threat of violence against (laughs) Mitch McConnell. Um, Like, you know, throwing a Molotov cocktail at his house, something, like, chill like that. But I deleted it because a bunch of MAGA chuds immediately flooded my mentions and were like at FBI. <laughs> oh my God. That would be a, uh, you know, yeah. I mean Jake has had the Department of
0: Homeland Security come to his house and I would feel so proud if the Department of Homeland Security came to your house. I guess I'm not really thinking through all the implications yeah, of, of you know, that. I, but it if, was if
1: it's if it's for that, like, well, you know, I'd wanna earn it. I'd wanna earn that. I'd wanna actually Get get a knock on my door from DHS because I I did throw a Molotov cocktail at Mitch McConnell's house. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I and then some QAnon lady was like terrorist threat much. <laughs> Oh my God! the The rise of the QAnon lady is uh, <laughs> it's been yeah. precipitous. Yeah, it's really it's really been something.
0: Yeah, but uh, no, it was it was bad because we had just finished recording with Jamie, and I was just kind of sitting here, you know, working on uh, a. I was working on my book, which is a book about masculinity that is due pretty soon. Just kind of finishing it up, and uh, I was sitting here kind of reading about you know like sex stuff to my editor we're just kind of going through it line by line and then i get this text from jake that rbg has died and i didn't know at first if he was pranking me but i thought that probably wouldn't be like a prank he would do so i i looked at it and uh yeah and then i i told th- my editor and then everyone was really sad and you know i i was not in the the cult of rpg i have, uh, I, have yeah. an R- I have an rbg candle and that is because someone else gave it to me it was it was a, I, I enjoyed it uh i thought it was very sweet that my friend got me a present and i also definitely you know i'm going to take some time later in our, our friendship to explain the difference between being a leftist and being a liberal <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah totally yeah but uh yeah it's you know um Obviously it's a very stupid situation when democracy or or what we uh have of you know democracy what we have left. Yeah. yeah. I mean <laughs> I, I don't even want to say left because it's I mean it's just like you know I, democracy for who right like uh, there's yeah. uh, there's obviously going to be a uh, a dramatic reduction of democracy but it shouldn't so much should not
1: hinge on one 87 on one year old woman uh, yeah. continuing to fight or not or you know lose her fight to cancer uh yeah it's 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 terrible i as a former former liberal feminist myself as we, we talked about in the interview with jamie uh yeah i definitely have i have a lot of like admiration for the the trail she blazed i guess her rulings have not been uh Entirely on the up and up, but she has—I I mean, I think that she, if you look at the the totality of her career, uh, it it I guess has been an, a net positive for for progress in the United States. Of course, I wish she had retired when Obama was in office, uh, like ten years ago.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty frustrating because the discussion of whether or not Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have retired, like people are just throwing around, you know, all kinds of accusations about it. Like anyone saying that is sexist. And it's like, Dude, you just said five minutes ago that uh, we are at the end of democracy now, and if you believe that, and if you believe that like her being on the Supreme Court or a liberal justice being on the Supreme Court could have prevented that, then how can you not wish that she retired? It's, uh,
1: yeah, I don't. I think it's a really. It's. It, it's I mean, yeah, like, and that and that ultimately uh, to to the point we were making earlier that still. <laughs> Leaves all of democracy on the shoulders of one woman <laughs> Yeah like, You know uh, So And you know I they're, Basically if Trump does get to Appoint uh, His nominee which it looks like he might Unless four Republican senators Defect
0: Yeah I mean but Joe Manchin is also definitely Going to vote for whoever Trump's nominee is So I think he's getting
1: to appoint someone I think that Right but they have to Well they have to vote to I mean, they have to vote to like bring it to a vote uh so I don't know, but we we don't know what's gonna happen, like more likely than not, yes, you're right the uh the vote will will go through, but my point is there is that uh if you know a republican another republican is seated on the court, then basically, I think almost all of the Republican justices on the court will have been appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote, yeah um which just like for, which just makes every single branch of this government just deeply undemocratic and unrepresentative of the will of the people.
0: Yeah, I think like you know, the Supreme Court has at various times been been uh you know, one of the ways that Civil rights were advanced, like Brown versus Board of Education, or uh, Roe versus Wade, or Obergefell versus Hodges. Like you know, there there have been some major victories for equality and for justice. And I think because of that, liberals have been sort of apt to see the Supreme Court as something that is you know positive. But I mean. There's definitely been, you know, as many or way more instances of the Supreme Court really screwing over vulnerable populations. And that's definitely what it's going to be uh, for the next long time here. Probably, you know, um, it's pretty unfair
1: that nine people get to have so much power in this country. And, you know, obviously the court has always influenced uh politics and it's it's always been like a political body um but as you said like i mean i think the court the most liberal court was in the the late 50s and and 60s the most progressive court that just kept kind of passing through a lot of the civil rights legislation that we that we now i wouldn't say take for granted today because a lot of it's still very relevant but um and being rolled back in some cases yep. like the voting rights act yeah sure yeah. um, um I, I think the the agreement is is there uh among and hopefully that this this continues i've seen i mean i've seen a lot of like sitting democratic senators say like if trump gets to push this through like we're packing the court <laughs> there's no there's uh if and I think that that's I think that that's what uh Senate Democrats have to do from now on is they have to like they have to grow a fucking spine and play dirty because that's what Senate Republicans have been doing for decades.
0: Although I really I mean I completely agree that uh, they should pack the court. There's not zero precedent for it uh FDRs in it, but uh Joe Biden, you know, has stated on many occasions that he's against packing the court, and i I just I really don't I really don't think it's gonna happen. Biden has always uh seen working across the party line as kind of a nexus of his own politics. um he really. You know, he's friends with a lot of these Republican dudes uh, He is very, you know, center-right himself And, uh yeah, I just, I think that there's like a I think that there's a very uh, minimal chance that I mean, center-right yes,
1: center in the global sense, maybe But <laughs> yeah. in like, uh yeah, certainly I mean, no, he's, uh, I don't know I don't know anything anymore, honestly Yeah, I, like I don't think he's incapable of changing his mind because he's he's done it before. Yeah, um, but I, but
0: I don't know. I I mean, he yeah, he might, but I I don't see like uh, I see no precedent for him going all out war with Republicans in the way that court packing would do. You know, and I don't. I just I don't. I don't think that that's the kind of politician he is. I don't think that that's what he wants to do. I mean, he said a bunch of times that he won't, and I I believe
1: him. You know. Uh yeah, I think that the filibuster will be abolished at the very least, uh which is not his decision. Um if if he wins and the um obviously uh, there's going to have to be a lot of 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 different things that that align for us to make any sort of dent. Like we have to retake that the Senate, which is going to be um a huge uphill battle, but there are a lot of close races happening uh you know in Arizona that's looking like it's going to go blue, North Carolina, South Carolina, Iowa, Maine. Um, There's, you know, people are people are out there doing the work and uh, and trying. I just like I the reason why I lose hope is just because like the mechanisms of our government are so Undemocratic and like voter suppressions is so rampant in so many ways and obviously like the electoral college still exists But yeah,
0: you know, it's like i'm not trying to be like blackpilled about this at all or anything Like I think that we just do everything that we can do. I definitely think everything from um, being in the streets um, you know all kinds of direct actions to, you know, even kind of more, uh, you know civil means of contacting Senators, you know, in swing states who are vulnerable, you know, I think that, you know, it's we should try everything that we can try because the consequences of someone like Amy Coney Barrett being seated are high. And let's let's talk for a second about her specifically before we uh, analyze RBG's legacy a little bit. So Amy Coney Barrett is like an arch conservative uh, Republican think tank um Darling, who is probably the most likely person to fill this position. Um, her name has come up a lot of times. She was under consideration for Gorsuch's seat. Uh Trump has either said or implied that he wants to appoint a woman to fill Ruth Bader-Ginsburg's position. And it would make sense that he's doing that because Uh, His strategy at this point is like, you know, he wants to win the white suburban moms um, and, you know, Amy Coney Barrett. Okay, so she she's got seven kids, which there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I'll say that there is.
1: Yeah, (laughs) She's super,
0: super, super Catholic. um, Definitely extremely right wing on uh, on labor issues. uh, Very right wing on policing. Let's take a look at a couple of her uh rulings so uh she ruled that uh, job applicants should not be able to sue employers whose policies uh have a, a negative impact on older people uh she ruled that the courts should not halt the deportation of an immigrant who faced torture at home she ruled that uh, refugees should not be protected from being denied asylum on the basis of xenophobic prejudice Uh, prisoners should not be shielded from unjustified violence by correctional officers minors shouldn't be allowed to terminate a pregnancy without telling their parents Um, women should not be able to obtain abortions uh, upon discovering a severe birth defect Uh, i think it's very very likely that she will cast a deciding vote in hollowing out uh roe versus wade or overturning it and she's also like a gun nut which it's like you can't be a gun nut and have seven kids you got to pick one it's dangerous to have all those little people it's running too, around <laughs> yeah
1: you can and also that's such a it's it always i mean i'm i'm from like catholic country i i am i grew up catholic myself and i always is cuckoo to me when there are when there are catholics like her because i guess i just never met any like that growing up yeah um, like and you know the, the research is that like you know 98 percent of catholic women use birth control <laughs> yeah yeah no, know it's i mean but I, I i don't know what she does personally but I mean, uh, she doesn't seem like she's using birth control. I don't know, but she's... I don't know if she's... I mean, she's probably one of those people who's using, like, quote-unquote, the rhythm method, and it's yeah. just like, no, there's no rhythm. She's white.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So one one thing that's um, very under threat right now is uh, ACA and Medicaid expansion. I mean, obviously, there's like a ton of problems with ACA, like, you know, so-called like, um, you know, the, the market or whatever. It's like you got people like paying like, you know, fifteen hundred dollars a month to insure themselves through private insurers. And it's super inaccessible. But, uh, you know, Roberts has. Preserve the law uh, in his rulings. And um, there's four other conservatives on the court who want to strike it down. And so uh, that would reverse Medicaid expansion, which has probably been the best part of ACA. Um, Mm -hmm. It it would uh, abolish the exchanges and pre-existing condition protection, um, erase the the remaining contraceptive mandate which was you know obviously at least in part struck down um in the hobby lobby ruling um young people will not be able to stay on uh, their parents plans and you know as i've seen estimated that you know as many as like 20 million people uh could lose their health insurance um if ACA is overturned um maybe more I don't know um because it also had some mandates for companies needing to insure their employees and uh you know for the environment it's like that's like something that I just can barely think about anymore um but I think we can expect her to um overturn to, to side with the uh The corporations in every issue of a a government suing the corporations
1: for, uh, you know, regulating uh, emissions, anything like that. Um, Yeah. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett has been on the Republicans radar for a long time. And she I mean, she's she's on the list because the all of the the judges that uh, Donald Trump has put forth or been eyeing have been hand selected by the Heritage Foundation, which is like ultra conservative very much um like uh corporations are people women are not uh non-white people are not um basically yeah just giving giving all the rights they want to take away from 80 percent of us to corporations um so yeah absolutely you can expect just a fucking horrifying uh voting pattern for for her and i'm honestly i'm like maybe this is sexist of me but i'm more scared of republican women than i am of republican men sometimes yeah because
0: they they don't they can just
1: you know it's a wolf in yeah the the cognitive dissonance that they've had to entrench in their brain to be a republican and take away other women's rights (laughs) like (laughs) Is pretty significant So um but You know what we'll cross that bridge When we get to it yeah Let's look
0: at you know our RBG as liberal Hero uh I would say uh yes and no. Definitely not
1: uh not a leftist dream come true. Not a not a leftist dream. Uh do wanna say that um she's she's from she's from Brooklyn, born in nineteen thirty three. She's a working class Brooklyn gal. That to me has always been kind of like a compelling part of her of her story. Also the fact that she graduated like in the maybe this means nothing, but she graduated like at the, the top of her class in law school and had, like, no job offers because <laughs> she was a woman.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, she definitely had a cool personal life. Uh, her marriage was, I think, very inspiring for the time. Her husband was very committed to gender equality. I think he, you know, did the dishes and stuff, which was a, a big deal huge, for some guys in huge those days. men doing
1: the dishes. Um.
0: Basically, you know, when she she was a uh, civil rights lawyer for the ACLU, um, she argued before the uh, Supreme Court in a few cases involving gender discrimination. And what she did was actually really smart and cool is she brought cases involving gender discrimination against men uh for example a widower not being allowed to collect survivors benefits um mm. and you know, that he was being discriminated against because of his gender um and uh basically what she was able to do was get um enshrined in law that uh it wasn't okay to discriminate on the basis of sex where that phrase comes from um and you know she she kind of like Tricked them right because like these You know uh, male justices Could I think Have more empathy for a a Dude in that situation Um, Mm -hmm. She you know She knew not to bring them a case of a woman Being discriminated against because People were really sexist Um Mm -hmm. So and she definitely pushed the ACLU to take on gender equality as a as a big issue and, you know, has consistently sided with the right to choose uh, fair pay for women, which the Supreme Court case was lost, um, Ledbetter versus Goodyear. Uh, but um, where a woman, uh, Lily Ledbetter, sued Goodyear because she was not being paid the same as her male colleagues. And uh, the court ruled in favor of Goodyear. But RBG wrote a a blistering dissent uh, that I think galvanized Obama to take on the issue. And the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act was the, the first act that he passed as president. So...
1: Uh, we we do have her at least in part to to thank for that. Yeah, and and to your to your point, um, when she was was working as part of that gender equality project for the ACLU, basically the court the, the cases that she argued. I mean that that project encompassed like some three hundred cases, and and that project over the course of like 1971 to 1976 basically expanded gender equality and and expanded rights to women in just an enormous way like basically in before then men had been kind of solely codified as like inheritors of property and like women couldn't i mean the, one of the cases that she argued ended up in uh being that women could finally get a credit card <laughs> Uh, crazy wish, uh, wish I didn't have one sometimes, but yeah. thank you. Can they, thank ta- you. Can they take
0: them away now?
1: Can they yeah. ban them like TikTok? I think, I think, I think they should be banned, but from men yeah. as well. <laughs> but yeah, she, um, it's really, it's really staggering. Just I think, um, the number of cases and the number of. Um, of rights that sh- that kind of directly that that women uh, were were granted in the uh, in the seventies that kind of directly can be tr- can be traced back to her. And,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, and to me it seems like the like the heroic liberal firebrand image that people have of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. Definitely more Fair when considering Her like early life before She sat on the Supreme Court because on the Supreme Court She's been a centrist like, She's been on the right side of things plenty Of times but she's also been On the wrong side of things plenty of times And she was definitely
1: Not the most liberal justice on The Supreme Court sure, yeah sure sure, sure. I, I what I Didn't know about her until researching Her for this for this episode Was that so Bill Clinton uh Heard of him? Bill Clinton uh, appointed her in 1993, and as the the first justice that he uh, was able to seat in his presidency, because uh, he won in in '92, um, and she was the first Democratic appointment to the court since 1967. Holy shit! Wow. Uh, that's when Lyndon Johnson had appointed Thurgood Marshall, and that just i mean if that isn't depressing I don't know yeah it's... yeah <laughs> but,
0: but but i mean I, like someone like Thurgood marshall mm-hmm. was i think you know he was like i don't i'm not a, an expert on his an, entire record but yeah, ruth peter ginsburg was you know she was to his right like she wasn't especially on issues of criminal justice uh has some really unfortunate rulings um she has upheld a solitary confinement um uh, she's upheld the police being able to pull over cars even if it's not justified um she has uh upheld the death penalty in cases where it was being challenged um she has upheld uh police uh conducting warrantless searches of parolees because they were on parole um she she uh, overturned uh, a ninth court ruling in New York um, when uh, the Trump administration was trying to expedite the deportation of asylees. Um, she she hasn't been great, you know. I'm I know it was very uh, famous that she called Kaepernick taking a knee dumb, and she did apologize for it on in 2014. But her record on issues of racial justice has been unfortunate in a lot of instances. Uh, There was even an instance in uh, an interview that she did with Emily Bazelon in the New York Times. Emily Bazelon asked her about abortion uh, because she's always been such a staunch defender of abortion. And Ginsburg said, frankly, I thought at the time Roe was decided there was concern about population growth and particularly growth in populations that we don't want to have too many of and it was a big controversy at the time because Emily Bazelon didn't ask any follow-up questions and people were like wait is Ruth Bader Ginsburg implying that she supports eugenics it's impossible to know what uh, she meant by that answer because uh, i the journalist didn't, you know, really do the job because the implications of like having conservatives have this thing to like latch onto of like, oh, you know, liberals are supporting abortion for racist reasons. But I mean, I'm just saying I think that there is, you know, there's reason to believe that she was not great on issues of <laughs> racial justice.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean. I guess if you if you look at the totality of her career, those are definitely uh, the dark spots. And also she has um, she is like sided with corporations in a number of um, instances in a way that makes me upset. Yeah, Um. even (laughs) recently,
0: she just did a really bad ruling pretty recently on um, she uh, sided with the. Conservatives on the Atlantic Coast pipeline beneath the Appalachian Mm -hmm. Trail, uh, which, you know, those of us who care about the environment were very upset about. But, you know, I mean, I think the thing is, is people do good and bad things and it's very like, I think it's like a very toxic mentality to lionize People that are supposed to be public servants because we are supposed to be holding them accountable and uh, trying our best to force them to do what we want them to do, not right. turning them into celebrities that we stand, even though it's like fun to stand people as a joke. Like this, the culture of standing and not asking questions about prominent Democrats or you know any politician, like it's just... You know, it's antithetical to the goal of creating a just society.
1: Right. And I think even even more so than like doing just doing what we want them to do. It's like the the court is I mean, even though we it's it's really difficult to think of it as anything but because it has become so highly politicized. But the the court is not even it's just not supposed to be what it has become it is just supposed to be like it's supposed to be about um like the just interpretation of the law obviously um and you know Thurgood Marshall is he said you you do what is right and you let the law catch up um and that's that's how our justices should be Acting, of course, that's like I mean that's a fucking pipe dream now, but yeah, I mean, and um, it's always I think it's always been a pipe dream, I mean, like there have been you know the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of slavery, you know, like it's it's always been I'm not saying that the Supreme Court has always done the yeah, right thing no I just I'm mean just saying
0: like <laughs> I think that I think that the the idea like I know it gets thrown around a lot that like there was a point in time where the Supreme Court was less political. But I don't I don't personally agree with that. I think it's always been political. And at this point, it's just more explicit.
1: Well, I think it's I mean, the 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 example that I gave about the court in the 60s, that was like pretty in like late 50s. That was pretty out of step. Like a lot of the rulings that they made were out of step with even what the the American public was ready for more progressive than what the American public was ready for in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways. So that's what I mean by like, I think that that's like that's that's what I think of when I think of it as having been less political, because if it had been like more kind of to the whims of of the administrations or maybe even public opinion, I there have been times when it has. Uh, function the way that it should, I think. But um, yeah, certainly a dubious history. Um, And yeah, but she was on the court for for 27 years. Uh, She the first case that she was was known for was the United States versus Virginia in 1996, which dealt with the um, Virginia Military Academy, which was like the last um publicly funded university that had not been gender integrated (laughs) yeah and basically she wrote the the majority opinion that uh that they should should allow women she also was the only woman on the court for a number of years in like the mid-aughts
0: yeah and i i definitely see why like liberal feminists stand her like you know she's she's had some really great quips you know somebody asked her like how many you know what how, how many uh when when will it be uh when will there be enough women on the supreme court and she said when there are nine you know which is yeah. like a true way of thinking about it because it's like there have been you know so many instances of uh, all male supreme courts and stuff but
1: hundreds I, of years of <laughs> yeah i mean but you know
0: i think it's just like it It kind of comes back to this point that we talk about a lot, which is that like, you know, representation, it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily like the representation one woman in power. It doesn't necessarily mean anything for like the rest of women. Right. Like when she when people were uh, pressuring her to retire, uh, she decided not to. Um, and uh, I'm going to read a little quote from the notorious RBG. Um, This book was written in 2016. Historically, one way women have lost power is being nudged out of the door to make room for someone else. Not long before pop culture discovered RBG, liberal law professors and commentators began telling her the best thing she could do for what she cared about was to quit so that President Barack Obama could appoint a successor. RBG, ardently devoted to her job, has mostly brushed that dirt off her shoulder. Her refusal to meekly Shuffle off the stage has been Another public high stakes act Of defiance and so You know we have like her Not retiring Being positioned as This feminist act But women in 21 States as soon As like next year could lose the Right to have an abortion and It's like Just positioning The individual Trajectory of one woman over the rights of millions who are not going to have choice unless they're able to, you know, abortion funds will organize and get people to other states and stuff. But I mean, in reality, there's going to be a, a lot of women who are forced into birth. I, I don't know. I I think that a lot of the reason that we have these discussions after someone dies is to reify uh, like the morality around it And like you know you have people saying Like it's you know it's so unfair That uh, that anyone would say That she should have stepped down In an earlier moment But I, I don't I, I do not think that It's, it's unfeminist to, to call that into question It's really just totally. like which kind of feminism Are you into you know
1: Yeah yeah and I think that like her career Sets a precedent for the fact that She clearly like loves doing the work And that's like I mean, that might be part of the argument is that she just didn't want to stop doing the work and that's fine. Uh, But that but she should have I mean, she definitely should have known the gravity of that of that choice, I think. And I think the another argument is that people make is like Stephen Breyer is only a few years younger than her. And he was also appointed under under Bill Clinton. And no one is like. No one's been calling him to step down. No one, no one called called for him to retire under Obama, um, which I I think is a valid, <laughs> a valid thing to say. I think people have have called for Breyer to ret- retire under Obama, and uh, you know he I also nev- did- I have never, I truly have never seen a single person.
0: Yeah, <laughs> say I, I, that. I, 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 there's also like a difference is like she had had cancer like by the time people are by the time people started calling for that like she had you
1: know yeah no i agree with you i think she should have done it i think she should have done it like no absolutely i just think that like yeah i think um i don't know it's it's a very complex uh well, it's it's complex and it's not. Obviously, like yeah, I think I think they both should have should have gone, but um under Obama in his maybe in his in the first year of his second term or something. But Yeah. She did write the dissent on some of I mean, she she was on the right side of history for for a number of um cases that I think foretold the current state that we're in um cases that uh have adversely affected the where our country has gone over the past 20 years um, Bush versus Gore Is a big one uh, She wrote she wrote the dissent for, for that case Famously um, Upholding The decision that George W. Bush would win The election even though he had Lost the popular vote and there were still A number of uncounted ballots uh, The hanging chads uh, Shelby versus Holder Which was Um, a case in 2013 that further gutted the Voting Rights Act um, and Burwell versus Hobby Lobby, which famously allowed uh, private companies like Hobby Lobby to uh, exempt themselves from providing birth control to their employees, even under their employer-provided health care. And yeah so she wrote the dissent for for all those in many and many other cases, I'm sure, but um yeah she she knew how to write a screed definitely, yeah.
0: yeah, and you know, I think it's fine for people to be complex, we all are uh it is really you know it is ultimately not the fault of uh any one person that we have this body of nine people uh, that will always be representatives of the ruling class above all else, right? Because it's going to be like, it's going to be people who are, you know, um, it's going to be people who are from like the kind of highest tiers of of society, like whatever their background was, it's it's going to be, uh, it's just, it's not... It's not ever going to be, I think, an institution that is um, regularly on the side of the marginalized. And it's a problem. I don't know what to do about it. Uh, I definitely know that it's going to be much, much worse with the conservative supermajority. And, uh, yeah, it's a it's a you know, it's a tough time. But, you know, we we got, got to go on. We got to not get blackpilled uh, or nihilistic, um, you know, the Supreme Court always, um, always has been somewhat responsive to public opinion. Like if you look at, you know, the ruling on same-sex marriage, like it's. I think it's impossible to say that that ruling would have come down had there not been a massive campaign uh, for decades to normalize same-sex relationships and uh you know i think uh i think that some of the public response to aca uh, it, it contributed to um you know that not being fully stricken down i, I think that you know roe versus wade it, it's like i i personally think that there's a a pretty high chance that that's gone or gutted to the point that it's not really protecting anyone whether they fully overturn it or whether they just decide based on you know the precedent of planned parenthood versus casey that you can't have an undue burden that like nothing is an undue burden you know and yeah but you know
1: like, i mean i think i think it's like pretty in a a 63 court because you know a lot of people have i think rightly speculated that roberts uh the chief justice wouldn't Side with the conservative. I I actually don't think that he would side with the conservative majority, but in a six to three court, you don't need him. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it would get kicked back to the states. And I'm very, uh, and that day uh, hangs in the balance. And I'm fucking horrified by that. Yeah,
0: I mean, okay, I don't see this as like a a silver lining whatsoever. I'm I'm not an accelerationist, but I do think that, you know. Uh, abortion is all but illegal for so many women who live in red states already. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. You know, I mean, maybe this is, I'm not saying that this is like a silver lining or that it's not good or anything like that, but, you know, perhaps with this issue in the spotlight, people will notice that it is almost impossible for many women who live in red states to get abortions. And we can all join together in solidarity to protect the reproductive rights of everyone. Because at the end of the day, these institutions are what they are. But, you know, like we have power and a lot of that power is going to come through direct action Um, and, uh, you you know, vote for sure. But, you know, like it's not going to it's the situations that we're facing right now are going to require more than voting. And uh, I think that's a really good uh, place to to jump into our interview. What do you think?
1: I agree. I uh, I think that if if, if you want to watch a, something that that might give you like just a shred of of agency, I really liked um, AOC put out a, a live stream on her Instagram uh, on Friday night after Justice Ginsburg died, uh, saying it's called "What Do We Do Now." uh and i think it was i thought it was it h- was helpful and it 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 did make me feel like like there's like we can we can have some some agency and some direction moving forward uh we can at least primal scream
0: uh, <laughs> all right so uh, this interview uh i'm so excited uh we are uh, talking with Jamie Peck this week uh, from the Antifada and the majority report. And she's so great. Uh, We talked about the future of the left um, under Biden or under Trump again, God forbid. We talked about socialist feminism. We talked about why leftists should be 100% on board with The with the abolition movement That's happening right now um, it was Such a good talk Jamie's wonderful we Have the first yeah, half it was on great. our Yeah we have the first half on our Regular stream and then we'll Release the second half uh, in our Patreon episode this Sunday uh, if You haven't become a subscriber Please consider becoming a Subscriber we have some great Content and the show could really Use your support if you are in a Position to do so I know it is a Hard time for so many uh so no hard feelings if you are not able to do that but if you do have five dollars a month we will be so eternally grateful to you uh and anyway uh enjoy this interview with jamie peck thank you thanks just listen to reply guys hello and welcome back to reply guys we are so lucky this week to be joined by Jamie Peck, who you might have heard on
2: Majority Port uh, or her own podcast, The Fada. Jamie, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. Um, man, I feel like we should manage people's expectations a little better because uh, I'm kind of sick and out of it today, but
1: I'm going to do my <laughs> best for feminism. I mean, we're the expectations here are we, we, we have no expectations. We will do We'll do whatever's cool, whatever's comfortable. All right, that's good.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's been a very weird time where we were saying before the show started that it just uh, everything sucks a little bit right now.
2: (laughs) Mm Hmm. You could say that. Yeah.
0: So uh, I have a a question of pressing importance. Uh, When my cats had little cones on after their surgery, you. Noted to me that the cats were only nicer when they had cones on and that the moment it was removed uh, They reverted to their original ways and and I have noticed that that is exactly what happened (laughs) Pearl is back on her bullshit as some would say yeah
2: I know right like what's up with that Why do you think that they're nicer when they have the little cones on I don't know I mean, maybe it's, it, like, takes them down a few pegs. Yeah, I, you think, know? I think
1: it humbles them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They don't think they're all that. Like, you can't feel like you're all that when you have a cone around your neck, you know? And then you get it off and you're like, I'm, I'm the hottest shit ever now. Ha-ha. I'm a cat. Fuck you. Like... My my cat, rest in power, Leo. Um, he he was kind of a hand-me-down cat. I did not raise this cat. I got him when he was already a bit of a senior citizen. Oh, but, I love uh, that. He he was like a grumpy old man, and uh, he got the cone on, and it really changed his whole persona. And then as soon as he got it off again, he was like meh. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about your podcast for listeners who may not have heard it before. Sure. So I do a podcast. It's called The Antifada. I do it with two other people, Sean KB and Andy, who has many names. Um, he also writes under the name A.M. Gitlitz. Um, it is a communist podcast. We're pretty ecumenical about what kind of communists we are, um, which, you know, tends to make nobody happy and everybody angry at us all the time um wait say say more about that explain um well i feel like the people who get the most mad at us the most of the time are probably the anarchists because we are closer to being anarchists than we are to being like tankies or whatever you know, okay. Uh, so, like, they expect us to always agree with them, whereas like, tankies expect us to piss them off and probably don't really listen to our show in the first place. But um, no, we're 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 non-denominational communists. I think uh, we're all we all have a lot of different influences. We've all read Marx and Lenin. Some of us more than others because um, I do not have any of a master's degree, and <laughs> the other guys have uh, almost two master's degrees between them um but i i have read the marx and the lenin and i think they've got some got some got some good ideas but also uh, i've read um communization theory and i've read rosa luxembourg and the german dutch council of communists and all all i think it, it takes all the all the different flavors of the rainbow you know i think we have something to take from almost every historical tendency that has existed i think no one's really figured it out just yet um so what it all comes down to my friends now um <laughs> so- sorry i'm 35 and a woman to me <laughs> uh wait yeah. so so if you could like
1: distill the because obviously like i know what each of those words mean individually that you're saying, like, each of those identifiers mean individually, but... I mean, I am a communist,
2: and I'm sort of an anarchist-adjacent communist in that I believe uh, everything should be as flat as possible, uh, no unjustified hierarchies, Um i think that capitalism is bad for a lot of different reasons okay we've heard of it (laughs) (laughs) we need to end it and progress Mm -hmm. to the next phase of human development you can call it communism maybe that's too loaded a term maybe we just call it cool world all right but a society built around human needs and not um not subservient to the rules of the market basically is what i believe hell yeah very cool and And the way that we get to there you know that uh, we haven't really figured out yet but that's why leftists gotta debate across tendencies and amongst ourselves until we come up with some kind of all-powerful synthesis that will be perfectly suited to the historically unique conditions in which we find ourselves
0: Hmm. yeah i i agree with that and it really makes sense to me like when people are full-on tankies because i mean it's like obviously like i'm not you know there's there's a lot of things that i wouldn't like about living in an authoritarian society but it's also just like i don't know how people expect that uh i don't know that the the conditions in early 20th century russia would be like an exact match for what's happening right now you know or even in the 1960s china
2: absolutely i mean there are many different reasons i think we have a lot to learn from um marx and lenin for sure uh and if you go back and read some of lenin's early stuff it's like actually pretty anarchist i was uh i was a little surprised when i checked out state and revolution that um he was like pretty committed to the goal of a stateless classless society but then um his actions once he was in power didn't always, uh, didn't always bear that out, or you know, maybe it was just, uh, just the results of many historical contingency factors and capitalist imperialism and stuff that you know couldn't, he had no control over. But if that's the case, like when is that ever not going to be the case? So I want to control for the factors that we at least can control over to the degree that we can, right? Like that's another thing. Like we all have, we all have our favorite roots to communism or socialism or whatever you want to call it. But it might not be up to us when it comes down to it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So obviously we're a long way from achieving a communist utopia. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we're just, <laughs> it's like we're kind of. Uh, at a crossroads of fascism and neoliberalism, or you know some combo of the two. But I know socialism
2: noticed, or barbarism.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, I you know I, I listen to Majority Port almost every day, and I noticed that uh, everyone on that show, but especially I noticed in, in like your exchanges with Sam that like you Ground your politics in like. Things that like there's a, there's always a, a concrete way to to move forward and it's not like you're not someone that is, um, you know, feeling com- like there's nothing that, that nothing can happen until there's a full on revolution. So I guess like what are like the guiding principles for you of like, you know, what actions or policies are worth it for you to invest in?
2: That is such a good question. I mean, that's a million dollar question. And I'm glad that I don't come off as totally blackpilled because sometimes I feel that way. uh, But sometimes I don't. And, you know, I try to be a good cheerleader for the movement. (laughs) and Even when I'm not really feeling it, you know, sometimes you can... uh, you can fake it you can get everyone else excited then i get excited for real again so um is that a dialectic i don't know um it's a new I synthesis mean, <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> things things are things are looking pretty bleak right now things times are looking pretty tough um if the revolution if a revolution happened tomorrow it would probably be a fascist one yeah, but, oh, yeah uh, absolutely and, and we would we would lose real fucking bad but um which is why i'm one one of many reasons why i'm not an accelerationist like are things not accelerationist enough for you already like god we are in the accelerationist timeline but um there are some things that give me hope like i mean no i don't claim to know what's going to work in the end and if anybody does they're probably lying to you or trying to start a cult or whatever like listen to me and one two three
1: we'll get communism one weird trick but um and you know what? what? I'm dying to join a cult, but maybe it's just <laughs> not the time or the place for that. I really just want somebody to tell me how to think and what to eat and how to feel.
0: Wait, isn't there... Yeah. There is a communist cult, though, right? Like the... What is it called again? Like, oh, it's the there's Bob... There's more what's than his name?
2: Yeah. Avakian. Yeah. Yeah, Bob's, yeah. Bob
1: Avakian.
0: Vick- what? That's... Yeah. There's a communist cult. Um, Bob Avakian. And he oh sorry if any uh members of that organization are offended by this
2: i don't know he is the chairman of the revolutionary communist party thank you very much um i'm just reading from wikipedia right now uh developed the organization's official ideology a theoretical framework rooted in maoism called the new synthesis or the new communism um there's other cults too um there's of course, Posadism, which is sort of a, I think it's kind of an ironic cult. I don't think there's that many sincere Posadists anymore. But my uh, my producer, Andy, wrote a book about the life of Jay posadas and his philosophy and why it's kind of making a comeback. And the, the Nazi blog, one of those alt-right blogs, actually did a blog post about him, like as if he was a sincere adherent to this uh, communist doomsday cult. So that's kind of funny.
0: Yeah, I I really want to read Andy's book about Posadism at some point because I just I would really like to find a way of uh, incorporating aliens and dolphins into my own ideology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm, right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, those things are sick. Like, yeah, who
2: doesn't want sea comrades swimming yeah. around them, um, just being rad? I do. I mean, we
1: we need all the help we can get. We need all the comrades we can acquire.
2: Yeah,
0: what I do know is that when the revolution comes, my cats will certainly be on the side of uh capital. They're just No. I do. I don't cats know. Cats are
2: socialists. <laughs> I feel like cats are kind of uh they're like an in- egoist, individualist anarchists. They're not like anarcho syndicalists because they don't like do any work or anything. They're just like, Fuck you, I'm a cat. I do what I want. Meow meow. So, oh yeah. <laughs> so like
0: you know kind of looking at um the future that we have ahead of us uh right I, right I, not wanting to to trigger anyone here but uh either trump or joe biden will be the next president of the united states one of those two i know it's How dare very hard you? uh but uh yeah well you know it's I definitely know I definitely know people who like sincerely think that like maybe Howie Hawkins will win and I'm like that's not the what that's not the point (laughs) of voting for the Green Party yeah Um, oh my god I I
2: do not give a single fuck about the Green Party I gotta say like like Sam brought it up on Majority Report today and Sam and Virgil were talking about something to do with the Green Party and like they may as well have been talking about sports like Yeah. yeah I do not care
0: yeah, but I know I I I don't I don't personally uh, find my hope in in the Green Party, but so it it is kind of hard to sort of anticipate what the future of the left would look like under Biden or Trump. Um, I think you know a, a lot of us got really optimistic about Bernie Sanders for a minute, um, even though I I didn't necessarily think he was going to win, um, except for like a, a little period of time, uh, but it was just yeah, it, we all it was, did we were like yeah. "Wait,
2: really really?" Yeah. it was
0: like I, holy shit uh, is this actually possible no. yeah I thought, thought not yeah but uh what do you think that what do you think that the left looks like under trump or biden
2: right so i'm going to combine this with your last question because i didn't really answer it um i think it's the fight is going to be pretty similar under trump or under biden i think um the problems are largely gonna be the same um i think i mean it's possible that it will have a little more room to operate under a joe biden administration but if you think that he won't do what he said in his tweet and uh go after anarchist organizers uh you're probably wrong um, I think in terms of the anti-capitalist left, at least our work is, our job is pretty much the same. Um, these problems are not going away. If anything, they're intensifying. And I think, um, it is a mistake to blame all of most of these problems on Trump as an individual. Um, I think these problems are largely, uh, if I want to zoom out a little, I'll use the O word, overdetermined by the development of capitalism in this country and in the world, because it is a fully globalized system. Um, things like immigration. All right. that th- These things are continuations or intensifications of stuff that started under different different presidents right like Obama uh he wasn't uh separating kids from parents at the border in the way that um Trump is doing but he did make build his administration did build a lot of the infrastructure um that Trump is using now for ice um what are some more problems the the COVID crisis um yes it's probably worse With Trump's mishandling of it, but um, even before the COVID crisis, we were by all indications headed for another financial crisis, another recession or possibly even a depression. And they're they're trying to pretend now like that didn't happen. And it's all this one exogenous factor that came from China or whatever. But we know we know that's not true. Um, It's it's um, it's been described by some as an omni crisis, actually, which sounds really ominous it's scary um and that we're having a bunch of crises at once um and there's there's a lot of indicators that we can't just the government can't just spend its way out of it like it did in the 2008 financial crisis which was purely a financial crisis it was like a whatever a single a single crisis right because there's so much else going on like you can give money to you can give stimulus money to people and to consumers but they're probably they're not going to go out and spend it in the service economy because shit is closed or if it's not closed people are scared um which is all to say <laughs> the left has its work cut out for it No matter what. And there are lots and lots of people who've been fighting on these issues, fighting for immigrant justice, fighting for racial justice. Holy shit. I didn't even talk about the historic uprising going on right now still um, around uh, the rebellion for black lives as I'm kind of thinking of it these days. Um, So like what is what is the left got to do in this? Well, I think the organized left was kind of caught on the back foot by this historic uh, uprising for black lives, right? Uh, They were not the vanguard of it, although many did participate, myself included. So I think, um, I mean, going back to like Rosa and Lenin, right? Talking about the role of organization versus spontaneity, um, the organized left needs to figure out how to relate to this movement and how to participate in it in a productive way um, that you know gets more of the proletariat to be a part of the organized left and uh am i how how do i describe this um something like the party right i think applies here because uh the party I'm not thinking of a traditional vanguard party It could even be like a federated party of parties But basically the party Is an explicitly political organization That serves to um, that, That organizes with and as The working class And serves to cohere a political vision From what's going on On the ground Learning from people who are You know out in the streets And people who are working shitty jobs every day And also kind of uh, like it's not supposed to just dictate theory to people from on high, but it's like a give and take. So it coheres a political vision and then it, co- it shapes in turn these movements and makes them more organized and more long lasting because, you know, if we don't have any organization, these things kind of erupt spontaneously and they fizzle out again, as we've seen over and over in the cycle of struggle with Occupy Wall Street or uh, Black Lives Matter or other other movements that i can't think of right now because i'm tired um so like we got to find the balance between spontaneity and organization but i do think um history has shown that um the working class is more advanced there are elements of the working class that are more advanced than a lot of these uh leftist theorists give them credit for uh and sometimes they are Caught on the back foot Like you think about The Russian Revolution Right People People were ready They were ready to fucking fight In the October Revolution And Lenin choked At first They were like well, Tell us what to do Tell us what to do And he was like uh, We're not ready Like everyone go home And then he realized he, he fucked up Which is like You know Pretty Pretty human thing to do Like I've <laughs> We've all choked Under pressure Right But it, It's It's gonna be the job Of the organized left To really be Paying attention to what's going on because we are very far away from the kind of organization that we need and the majority of the poor and the immiserated in this country uh they don't they don't like us yet Yeah. <laughs> right so yeah. we got we got our work cut out for us and i think um i think i really think the more time goes on and the more i learn that i think black liberation specifically is going to be the key to a lot of how we unwind capitalism I completely
0: agree with you And, you know, I have also, I think, been feeling pretty frustrated Over the past few months with how dismissive I have seen some people Like I'm talking about a very tiny group um, Not the the left broadly but, but some people, like a little segment of, you know, kind of uh particularly people that are very that really see like you know the path to leftism um catching on more broadly uh involve like you know kind of abandoning like the 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 trend towards you know more woke language like i've i've seen some of these people regard these protests like very Dismissively uh, and even perhaps antagonistically in some cases, I think, you know Because it is identity-based because it's an issue that is not solely class although I think it's a big mistake to not see class as uh, and capitalism more broadly as a a big driver of the reason that Policing and prison exists as it does Um, but I don't know like what what would you say to people who do want to kind of dismiss this movement because it's not
2: solely class focused i mean i i've talked a lot about this on my show and on the majority report and in dsa and in my dsa caucus emerge um it's uh I think it does a disservice to Marxism itself. Not that like Marx is Jesus and, you know, we have to listen to him. But uh, I think in this case, especially when people are making these sort of uh, class reductionist arguments and using Marx to justify them, um, it doesn't really hold up because Marxism is about social relations and not purely the relationship of... um, boss to worker but how all social relationships mesh together to create the system of capitalism and i think one of the biggest biggest factors in why we don't even have social democracy in this country and why we don't have stronger class politics uh is race and racism Mm -hmm. and you know corollary to that xenophobia Mm -hmm. like all and all of these all of these like identity based bigotries whatever you want to call them these Are used by the ruling class to divide the working class And keep us from uniting as a class And like even to this day Like I brought this up on MR um, Like the Whole Foods union busting manual That's been going around their stores Says like one of the biggest risk factors For uh, a store unionizing Is if there's less diversity And that sucks That's so shitty That's, That's bad So like We can't just say, oh, we'll ignore all the ways that the working class has been divided and just expect it to unify magically around these um, broad class-based demands that benefit everybody in the working class, right? Like we're gonna have to do some kind of work to bring it back together first into some sort of coalition so that it can fight. But it's so hard because it's like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know?
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I think... Um, Kate and I have talked about this on on a different episode, but um, it, like the term itself, identity politics, that has been like so bastardized by both, I think, like the left and the right in a lot of a lot of ways, was like invented by like black socialist lesbians, Hell <laughs> and yeah. it was essentially like, th- I mean, the, their definition of it was like we are the ones who can best articulate our needs and our demands Mm -hmm. and that's identity politics yeah
2: and they you know importantly enough also said you know our particular demands are universal demands Mm -hmm. because when we live well you know when queer black women live well everybody will live well everyone will be free and oh, and clear black working class women i right. should say because these weren't um these weren't rich people right <laughs> doing the Kavahee river collective yeah. and i think that is really true and like it's a simple slogan but like people go around at the protests and they say all lives matter when black lives matter i think that that is true and if you're saying well you know the cops kill white people too um that's true you should that means you should care about this issue yeah you should be
1: mad about that and it's also and a lot of and they're killing the white people who they're killing are largely poor like Mm -hmm. again it's uh yeah it's all connected man it's all connected
2: i don't think people would put up with the police and the prison industrial complex to the degree that they do if it were not um underpinned by racism Mm -hmm. as well i mean I, i could be wrong but i don't know yeah
0: I I completely agree. One argument that I've had uh, too much and too intensely uh, is, um, you know, I think with people who tend a bit towards class reductionism, who feel that like, you know, efforts to be woke are... Super alienating. I is particularly. I remember a couple weeks ago. I was really getting into it with people about Aaron Coleman, that little revenge porn teen, you know. And oh my god, yeah. I think like (laughs) you. I mean, I I think that there are people who really feel like um, discussions of feminism or anti racism are super alienating to some people but i mean it's also like i think to be hostile to it is alienating to other people and you know it's kind of like you're you're not going to win everybody so i I think it makes sense in my own assessment to just do what the right thing is you know whatever whatever you assess that to be well
1: the the argument is is specifically kate and correct me if i'm wrong that like that conversations of anti-racism and like uh, crit- critiques of misogyny and things like that Are alienating to the working class Which is like or to poor People quote unquote so it's basically It's like it's pretty it's like a condescending Argument that like Poor people or uh, The working cl- class people are inherently Like racist and Misogynistic mm-hmm. and homophobic or Etc cetera, etc cetera.
2: Yeah. yeah it's it's condescending to A vision of the working Class that um barely even exists anymore you know like a white guy in a hard hat or whatever but like there there are certainly segments of the working class that hold reactionary views on various things like um i was talking about this on the antifada this week actually um this town in pennsylvania it's like almost 100 percent white um it was started in the new deal era with government programs and it was like kind of a socialist town on it was like socialism on the prairie and then now they're like full MAGA, and the jobs are gone it's like one of those deindustrialized white working class areas and people are like saying racist shit and voting for trump and uh i think It is a mistake to say simply that that is a result of the Democratic Party abandoning Mm -hmm. those folks as it's become more and more neoliberal. I think that there is a correlation there, um, but it's not uh, that one caused the other. They're both being caused by these over determining factors and the development of the global capitalist economy right that's responsible for the democrats being becoming more neoliberal and it's responsible for these people in this town becoming more reactionary and um you know i don't i don't think they've gotten more racist that's like a weird idealist position to take but i do think um whatever latent racism they had trump has been able to activate and it's possible that like i don't think it follows then that just by becoming more progressive again and economically populist that the democratic party can win those people back right because it doesn't change the underlying social forces so maybe that isn't where we should focus you know the majority of our time and energy when we're talking whether we're talking electoral campaigns or whether we're talking um, other stuff which is also important i think uh i i would more focus on the people who like aren't politically active at all right now and who don't vote but that said like they're they're welcome to come back to the good side if they want to we just you know we don't need to pander to any of that nonsense you know totally
1: and i think that the republican party in in cases specifically like that like that to me is and it's A result of so many factors But it's also It's been the fact that like Fiscal conservatism And Like The economic conditions That Decades of Neoliberal rot Have created Like largely Through kind of like Reaganist uh, Fiscal policy And things like that That has been Carried out by both Democrats and Republicans Like certainly um, That created a lot of Problems and then the Republican Party So the Republican Party like created this, pro- this A lot of these problems and then They offered the solution and their quote unquote Solution is um, Like brown people Took your job and so I think that the Republican Party has Become and its constituents It's just become so Enmeshed in this, like identity, ba- like this white grievance pol- politics. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the the basis of of the Republican Party. And when I watched the Republican National Convention, that's what I saw. That's the message that kind of flowed through everything was white grievance politics. That's what I mean. That's what MAGA is essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't know those those people I do think are particularly hard to I I think they will be hard to get back uh, because it's such an like identitarian worldview it's like white people against the world (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah, I mean this is why they invented whiteness in the first place Yeah, and it has worked pretty fucking well over the course of our history so um, I don't know I'm not really sure how we get rid of it but it's uh it's bad i don't know i mean the old people are dying and there is evidence that um a lot of younger people do not hold the same retrograde views on race and gender at least i don't think that's the entire solution to the problem but um you know boomers aren't gonna be around forever um my
0: mom reminds me of this pretty regularly yeah, yeah. Same. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and like I love my boomers I love my parents but um you know hashtag not all boomers but it is true when that generation goes um I think politics there will be a shift there will be a real shift yeah
0: I, uh, I, I guess I I guess like where I have Um, Where I can feel a little more pessimistic about it sometimes is I do think that the populace at large is moving very left uh, in their viewpoints. Like, for example, you know, I've seen different studies, but, you know, over a majority of people support Medicare for all. But I don't know how we will get to a point where what the public wants will matter in terms of what our legislators enact like when people talk about pushing biden left that sounds like a complete joke to me because yeah it's not like the goal isn't to please voters (laughs) like that has nothing to do with what these people are doing at all
2: yeah no and yeah it's not gonna happen on its own for sure like People talk about, like, FDR and the New Deal or whatever. Even even if Bernie had won, okay, like, he would still be up against a whole lot. And it's possible that he wouldn't be able to get us uh, Medicare for All because the level of uh, unrest, the level of leftist worker organization During the Great Depression was so 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 much higher than it is today Um, and that's you know partly because the anarchists and communists got kicked out of the uh, of organized labor in the McCarthy era and organized labor suffered as a result right? These were the shock troops. And this was like a real unity between the organized left and the trades and the working class in a way that we haven't seen since then. And uh, we're really, we're really going to need to get a little bit of that old left mojo back if we want to change anything right because the ruling class was really scared they're really scared that there was going to be a fucking revolution and all their heads were going to be on pikes and that's how we got the new deal it's not just because we 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 looked at who had the best ideas and people voted for the person whose ideas they liked and then that person did those ideas for them like that's not how this works right
1: and i i mean i've been saying forever that we need you know, we need a modern-day Jimmy Hoffa or someone, someone like that. We need someone who people are scared of. Not exactly Jimmy Hoffa, although, uh, you know... Maybe a Jane Hoffa, Maybe a Jane, maybe a a girl boss Jimmy Hoffa. Um, But, no, I I, I agree with you. I just, like, the way that I think of the forthcoming election is that, like, uh, you know, obviously I hate both options, but I just... like i just think that if trump wins again that we will have absolutely like z- zero chance of getting even a sliver of and and i'm not like an incrementalist either of course but like like the the head of the EPA and the department of energy or like an oil lobbyist and a coal lobbyist like i just i don't i don't know i just feel like Trump has spent the last four years just pouring gasoline on the country <laughs> and lighting it on fire. And I just feel like if, like, as much as I, as much as Joe Biden was basically my last choice in, of, of everybody in the primary, uh, Except I don't maybe know. Bloomberg. No, blo- yeah. blo- you're right. Bloomberg was, was absolutely my, my last choice. But yeah, I, I just feel like we will, oh, yeah. we will Forgot not even, him. I mean, I wish I could, um, <laughs> I I just feel like we'll have we have we don't even have a chance to do anything if Trump wins again.
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I guess it's hard because we're not going to get like two different timelines. We get to see how it plays out under Trump and under Biden. I think there's at least a chance that it would be better under Biden. And, you know, for that reason, I hope that Biden beats Trump and uh, maybe in the short term things will be slightly less terrible i don't know but like it's fine <laughs> i i wouldn't I'm, I'm done being contrarian about it uh, saying like uh it doesn't matter because <laughs> it might it might matter there's a possibility yeah. there
0: yeah i mean one thing i think about at this point is like you know i i think there can be like people talk so much about like Experts like liberals are always talking about, like, oh, expert in this, expert in that. But I am not ashamed to admit that I would like to have some experts in infectious disease have uh, a lot more influence over how the pandemic is being managed, you know? I mean, and that it's just like. You know, Biden's administration will definitely be evil. But I I do think like with regards to the pandemic specifically, that there will be a level of competence that I'm okay with admitting I value.
1: Yeah, Yeah.
2: for sure. This is an area where a competent technocratic government might have been able to do something i still don't think that they would be capable of doing like what they did in the countries that handled it successfully where they have you know functioning uh health systems yeah that are i mean that's the whole already thing. yeah but it would certainly have been a little bit better
1: um even like outside of the realm of infectious disease like yeah i do think that a biden administration will be like kind of a a neoliberal, technocratic, Obama-type situation, but, like, I just, when I think of the cabinet, the current cabinet secretaries, every single, almost every single one of them, without exception, uh, that under the Trump administration, their prior career, previous to having that job, was working against the, the purpose of that department. And that is not something like, you know, Betsy DeVos was like a private school advocate. And again, we have like oil lobbyists and coal lobbyists heading the uh, our, the EPA and the Department of Energy and like someone who's super anti labor <laughs> is heading the Department of Labor. Uh, so that is like, again, it's uh, maybe it's like small potatoes, but I, I do know that like a biden administration would would do the bare minimum in that in that way
2: yeah
1: yeah that's fair
2: um i think it's been uh it's been i don't know how it's been um uh, <laughs> but like i think sam made a good point actually on the majority report the other day um, we Talked a little bit about how the DSA did not endorse Biden Mm -hmm. and like people were mad at us about that, but it really wouldn't have made any sense. It'd be like, oh, why didn't the Pokemon organization endorse Joe Biden? Like it has very little to do with socialism. Yeah. But um, we did endorse a whole bunch of down ballot candidates. And if you go out and you work for those down ballot candidates, um, people who turn out to vote for them will probably vote straight Democrat. So in a roundabout way, you'll be doing your part without having to wear a fucking biden hat or whatever um, riding in with biden yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, i want to i want to change the subject from joe
0: biden just because it, it's so depressing to me it's personally, really but, it's so yeah. depressing
2: even electoral
0: politics in general yeah yeah. yeah yeah every once in a while i get like really uh, really excited about a a, a jabari Port or uh, yeah. Ferris Front Forest. And we have had some, some big wins in New York, but yeah, on the whole, uh, electoral politics is pretty depressing right now. I'd like to talk for a minute about socialist feminism.
1: Hey, everyone. It's Julia. Thank you so much for listening to this interview with Jamie. We had such a great conversation, and we also had such a long intro this week that we ended up um, splitting this interview with Jamie into two parts. Part two of this interview will be available on our Patreon uh, for our subscribers. So if you haven't already, now would be a great time to subscribe if you want. We know it's tough out there, um, but we just really appreciate you. And uh, we hope you enjoyed part one of this interview with Jamie. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find our Reply Guys. They are always with us.
0: Bernie, take us out.
2: As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.